Welcome to the Power Play Podcast, where international cricketer Kyron Powell and marketing genius Jordan Shannon join forces, bringing you captivating conversations with the biggest players in cricket and business. Join us as we dive into the lives of current stars in the cricketing world, the legends before them, and those extraordinary icons whose performances changed the game in both cricket and business. Exploring journeys both on and off the pitch, the boardroom, and everything in between. Get ready for an exhilarating blend of cricket, life, and business insights with two insatiably passionate, infuriatingly no-holds-barred hosts who, unfortunately for the rest of us, live and breathe this stuff for a living. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode four of the Power Play podcast. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Karen Powell. How are you, Kai? I'm good, Jordan. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you very much. Yeah, and um, the nights are drawing in in the UK at the minute. The clocks go back at the weekend, so it'll be uh, dark mornings, dark nights, and the, the wonderful winter is on the horizon. But uh, nothing much to you know. I can't complain too much. So all good. Yeah, I'm struggling with um, terrible summer days out here in the Caribbean as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, and well, like you, you you mentioned before about. Obviously, the humidity and the temperature stuff over there, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to sympathise with you, but I'm, uh, you know, roll, rolling out of bed at six a.m. and you're shivering and stuff. It's, uh, you know, there's not much sympathy on my side. I'll be honest with you on that. There you go. So uh, obviously, the Super Fifty's well underway at the minute, and there's been some, you know, some really, really good performances, and you know, none stand out more than your superb innings. Um, last week was was it always in the you know did you always want to be aggressive or what what made you think you know i'm going to come out here and and look to put the pressure on the bowler sort of thing uh so i mean i in an ideal world i'd prefer to bat like that most times than not but <laughs> right um obviously being um the most senior batter in in my team it, it requires me to curtail um, my preferred style of play most most often than not but yeah. I mean given the total that that Jamaica set 128 um, I'm 123 sorry yeah. it's it's sort of one of those tricky totals where if if you try and stick a boat and you know you can you can sort of fall into a rut and you know you lose a couple of early yeah. wickets then things can really go awry really quickly so I just decided um, let me have a crack at you know one of these bowlers and see what happens and then I said all right the other guy I think I can take him down as well so let yeah. me just try and see how much I can get off of them and then you know there's things things just went more well and just yeah continue to go with it no fantastic because I watched I watched the first innings obviously with the time difference and stuff it's not easy to always follow and I thought it was a, it looked like it was a lot in the wicket to be honest with you I thought that I thought Bonner looked in really good order. Um, and I thought, you know, he looks like he was going to, you know, get a score. And then when, you know, obviously you, you bowl fantastically well and, and well um, as a team and stuff, actually. Um, what's his surname? Daniel. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, obviously a superb spell of bowling. But I did also think, though, that it would be a tricky one to sort of get, to be honest. But then when um, 
when I woke up to the messages office, you know, with with Emma and stuff, I'm thinking, wow, <laughs> what one hell of a way to go and chase that total. Yeah, it was it was a bit of a tricky pitch. Um, like it's very very tacky, um, especially when Jamaica batted. Um, there's a lot of moisture in it. Um, surprisingly, right. with with the one o'clock start, and as I said, with the heat that we've been experiencing in the Caribbean, so that was. Um, very surprising. Having said that, I don't think that Jamaica necessarily batted the best either. I don't think that they gave themselves um, a chance, you know, because everyone pretty much more or less came out in an attacking manner yeah. um, as opposed to looking to stick it out and just growing, growing to a a respectable fighting score um, and give themselves a chance. Because as I said, even, even 123, um, if if we went about it any differently, um, could have been a bogeyman type of score. So, I mean, something like a 180-200 on, on that pitch, um, especially going into the night, you know, the twilight transition, the ball doing a bit, you know, um, and just, just the confidence of knowing that you had a bit more runs to defend, yeah. you know, yeah. a bit more runs on the board, obviously would give the team a bit more confidence. Whereas, I mean, I got going... Um, Scores 93 at the end of the power play. The game's yeah. effectively over. You know, so yeah. guys are just yeah. going through the motions at that point. So it's just understanding the the, the finer intricacies of um of. <laughs> I was just going to visit about that. It's the finer intricacies of the game. Yeah, it does. As a, as a batter, t- when when you sort of get one of those sort of sticky sort of wickets, is the temptation to be a bit more proactive and aggressive to sort of take out that element of of risk of the, of the track a little bit or do you try and put that outside of your mindset and just sort of concentrate on what your game plan is going into the game regardless of the track well I think your game plan has to adapt um, based on on the track so yeah. I mean it's sort of a twofold answer because I'd say if, if you're batting first obviously you have to try and set it up and take it deep so that the guys at the end hopefully the pitch gets somewhat better and the guys at the end can maximize from the guys up front doing the hard yards. Yeah. Um, said that if you're chasing the total, you want to get off to as quick a start as possible and sort of calm the nerves of the dressing room and let the guys know that, you know, the pitch isn't as bad as it looked. Yeah. 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 Sort of um, an hour, two hours, but how many hours in advance? So um, it just depends on obviously you're putting in the toss or losing the toss and then obviously how you try and set the game up. Yeah. And predominantly, what are the wickets like in Trinidad? Um, Trinidad has actually been, I'd say it used to be Antigua, but Trinidad's my favourite place in the Caribbean to bat. Look, yeah. the, pitches, the pitches here are generally very good. Um, the outfields here are generally very good as well. Um, and, I mean, this this is the home of Brian Lara, so they, they, have, <laughs> they have to be good batting pitches in, in yeah. Trinidad. Um, to produce something that special. No, no, good. And I think obviously as, as a team as well, you've you're top of the table, isn't I think at the minute when I when I last checked. Um so obviously from that perspective, um, you know, it must be really positive to see yourself out, you know, and be top of the tables so far. Yeah, I mean even even with the loss yesterday, there's still positives to take away. I think um Having looked at our, our bowling attack now over the course of three games, I think that yeah. we have a very strong bowling unit. You know, what I mean, yeah. we had someone like a, a Kofi James, for example. I think the second leading wicket taker in the tournament last year, that just bowled his first over in the tournament in our game yesterday. Yeah. I mean, you've got Daniel Durham, who's 
leading wicket taker in the tournament thus far, who only bowled three overs yesterday. And so we've got a plethora of options at our disposal. And it's just um, unleashing them as and when to the different types of batters that come to the crease or whatever respective plan that yeah. we have on on the given day for the opponent. You know, um, so we're in a good space um, mentally. It's just um, for us as a team to put up good scores on the board or chase whatever scores are yeah. our board is limited to, but we, we back our bowling to keep us in the game nine out of ten. Yeah. No, it's been some I've really enjoyed watching it. There's been some really good games, some good standout performances and things as well. So I'm really looking forward to to watching the rest of the series sort of unfold and, and I think there's gonna be some really close games over the next uh, round of fixtures and stuff as well. So I'm, I'm looking forward to keeping an eye on that. Um in terms of the in terms of the World Cup, have you managed to keep an eye on that with things going uh, your uh, sorry things going on? You know, are you playing cricket and stuff? Yeah, it's actually um, <laughs> Emma says um, all she's she's doing in here is cricket, cricket, cricket. You'd swear that she's married to a cricketer, <laughs> um, but no, it's um, I actually sleep with the TV on um, on the cricket channel because it starts pretty early here in the morning. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It starts like maybe four thirty at morning, so it's yeah. like sort of glimpse at it like in the last bits of sleep coming into morning and then obviously wake up um and see the rest of the matches going on so you know we've been keeping track of of the world cup and you know it's it's been very interesting for example someone like a team like afghanistan pulling two wins yeah. out of the hand they are now going into the upper half of the points table um yeah. Austria sort of rebounding from a bad start um england sort of not really Looking off the World Cup, like they haven't gotten off the ground at any point in time, you know. So no. it, it's been an interesting tournament, that's right. Yeah, definitely. I think that it's gone to, sh- in my opinion, it shows. I think England have underestimated a, li- a little bit. I think that um, the situation that they've got. Well, I know that Joe Root has come out today and said, obviously, it's down to them not playing a lot of fifty-over cricket, um, which I understand to a certain extent. Um, you know, because these lads haven't, because the the fifty over and forty over tournament in England overlapped with the hundred. So the higher, you know, the, the higher profile players played in the hundred, and then you know some of the other county lads played in the forty over stuff. So I do understand that some of them haven't played fifty over cricket, but I don't think that's nothing new in terms of in in England. The um, you know they went and won the World Cup. Last time, and there hasn't been a change in the in this. Well, I suppose it would have been with the hundred and stuff. But do, do you think that do you think that is an issue that there isn't enough fifty over played in England specifically, just in England? Do you think Joe Root's comments are pretty fair, or do you think it's a slight, you know, excuse really? Well, I a hundred percent think that there's been a massive change actually, Jordan, and Gerald's comments are actually a hundred percent spot on. Like if you look yeah. at the build towards um the last fifty of a World Cup and how seriously the ECB took it in terms of ensuring that, you know, fifty over cricket became a priority, white ball cricket in general became a priority. Um, from the ECB standpoint. Yeah. Um they played umpteen amount of matches before the World Cup actually started and everyone sort of knew their roles. They were fit and firing um, just before the World Cup began. They sort of yeah. got Trevor Archer to qualify to become available for England. He came in and he played X amount of matches before the World Cup and sort of integrated himself into that team, that environment. I mean, 
they had an issue with Alex Sales. They sort of settled yeah, yeah. that quickly, moved on, um, replaced him with, I think it was a Liam Dawson or James Vince or something. And that was like a really close-knit, tightly built team that Owen Morgan had over the course of four years. Whereas this, this World Cup, um, obviously it was an Ashes summer and obviously that took, I guess priority over the World Cup preparation. Having said that, there are very few players that do play World Cup cricket, um, that do play, sorry, 50 over cricket and play test cricket. But the amount of cricket that was played in the UK this summer in terms of the 100 and the, the T20 stuff, um, the 40 over stuff, you know, the guys didn't have a chance to play as a unit. Lots of 50 over cricket leading into this World Cup and I mean, I think England may have underestimated that the difference in pitches in the UK as opposed to the difference in pitches in India. Um, whilst, you know, they are, they're both sort of flat batting friendly pitches, they're still subcontinent conditions yeah. as opposed to English conditions. And I just think that this English team on a whole isn't as strong, like it, it isn't um, as, as good as an overall unit as the team or that squad that won the World Cup. You know, you've got obviously fresh faces or newer faces, let me say, in yeah. terms of um, coming in that um, haven't been honed in the, in their roles. And I guess it's sort of horses for courses as well because, I mean, some players that work well in England won't necessarily work well in in India. So, you know, there are lots of varying factors that come into play as to why... England haven't really gotten off the ground um, the way they would have liked in this tournament as well. Yeah, I feel that that England especially with, I just don't think they've had that X factor with the ball in the way that um, they've had that, not necessarily control from a from an economy rate perspective, but a control in terms of managing the game. I think that the way that, in comparison to you look at the way that England played South Africa, but then how India went and beat New Zealand, it was a partnership in the New Zealand game. You know, they got on top of the the likes of him and put a lot of pressure on him. And then Sharman just made that change. He brought his fat, you know, his, his um, pace attack back and the, the, the faithful um, bowlers he's using time and time again. They break the partnership and then they really put that pressure back on. In the and then in the England game, just didn't really have that, or just didn't really have that. They didn't have that bowler to sort of create that new partnership and then really apply that sort of pressure. And I think that that's maybe the difference um, that England have haven't had in the in the World Cup in comparison to the last time is probably the Jofra Archer effect, really, of that sort of X factor, and um, but also that reliance of maybe the Chris Wokes effect, really, of that sort of control throughout the, you know, the year. I think Adil Rashid probably had, you know, it's, it's just, I think it's just not come at the right sort of time for England and, the, and this and this World Cup, really, which might be down to a few things, but I think that, you know, I think we're going to touch on it here, and obviously the, the, the topic really of today's sort of pod as such is obviously I want to talk about leadership, I want to talk about, talk about absence. Okay. How, how important is that role of a captain in the tournament side of things? Um, as well as the overall impact it has on his team? To me, it varies. So a captain becomes obviously more important in a team that doesn't have a lot of experience or a lot of experienced players. So 
if you look at the Australia team that kept winning World Cups like in 99 to um, 96, 2003, 2008, that, that time period where they're always competing yeah. for trophies, then I'd say a captain in that team, whilst it is important, it wouldn't be the, the be-all, end-all. You know, you can sort of stick any of those guys into that role um, and they'd have respect from the peers and it's it's just a matter of managing personnel, bowling changes, um, simple things like that. Whereas you have a team like, uh, let's say, an Afghanistan right now that are making huge strides and obviously winning a few games. Um, you've got a few superstars, the Rashid Khans, the Mujibs, the Nawis, etc. But then you've got a few junior players that are coming through as well. And you really need someone to inspire and, and marshal those troops, you know. So I think yeah. um, captaincy is... is it's important, but it depends on, again, as I said, the, the team that you have, the level of experience of the players, um, the, the oppositions that they're used to playing against, whether it's superior, inferior, and, you know, where they're at as a group, as opposed to just a captain being so highly praised and he's the greatest captain of all. Like, it, you can have a really great team and then you just, it's it's really easy. Yeah. So in terms of obviously the, the Owen Morgan situation, do you think he was just the right captain at that right stage? Or do you think that he also had you know, the important role of making that side work in terms of coming together because he had potentially you know, to balance certain players within that within that lineup? Well, I think for him it sort of worked in the sense that they had and this is England, they had the right players. In, in the county system, not necessarily within the English team. They right. had the right players to fit the mold that fits the style of play that he wanted. He wanted a cultural shift, and so he had to have the backing of the ECB to allow um, him to pick these players and go and play with freedom and obviously fail, because once you're playing with that level of freedom, guys will fail. Yeah. Um, once, once they know that we won't be dropped, then that's when you start to get performances and, and consistency and all of that stuff come into into play. And then that's where England went on to sort of break records and, you know, just yeah. do unbelievable things, um, setting scores of um, 400 and multiple yeah. occasions, etc. Um, so I think captaincy in an issue like that was very important because it was the personnel that became captain, someone that was very strong in the way that they wanted to go about how he went about leading that team, that cultural shift on a whole on, on any English cricket of, okay, we're not just going to accumulate and just build up and try and get to respectable total anymore. No, we're going to attack you from ball one to the end of the 50th over, set a massive total, and then our bowlers are going to hunt wickets. You know, we're not just going to try and attain like it, it's all about wicket taking and entertaining. So um, in, in, in an instance like that, I think that, Owen Morgan was very um, instrumental in revolutionising English cricket. Yeah, I think I think you touched on it there in terms of like from a man management perspective, backing the players. So I want to go and play this way. I want to support you. We're back here, and like I said, it probably gives them that sort of belief from a man management perspective. That's like I've got 
the captain's support, I can go and express myself to, in, you know, in terms of the way of wanting to go about what I want to do and I've got that support. So I think that that's it's obviously played a big part in England, in, you know, in England's success. And like you said, they sort of, you know, getting those totals of the first 400 on a, on, you know, a consistent basis, it, it really did sort of build that momentum going into the tournament in 2019, which maybe they haven't had this time based around, as you said there about the Ashes, uh, and obviously just not playing that volume of games who were sort of playing before. So I think there's, you know, it's a culmination of a few things and I hope they don't sort of, you know, make some, you know, make massive changes. It probably doesn't need massive changes. It's just a group of sort of figuring out a strategy of, of certain bits and pieces rather than sort of pulling various bits and, and stuff like that. But I just wanted to sort of talk about, I mentioned before about, um, about Sharma in the in the India game um, and sort of having that you know making that sort of change and I think that is it is it is it in those sort of key games with India where the captaincy really earned sort of that um, that sort of medal of honour in terms of doing what they're doing from in those key those key parts of the game when the team is on top or do you think it's down to having the right tools? to sort of then the bowler or, or, or the batter in a certain situation, they're going, you know, grabbing the ball by the horns. Is that, how do you sort of see the captain's role in that situation? Captain is as good as the tools he has. Ultimately. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, 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 as I've said, I think Ruth Sham is an amazing captain, um, but he does have amazing tools at his disposal. Yeah. You've got um, wicket takers in Jasper Brummer and Kuldeep Yadav that can most times get you some sort of breakthrough and stem stem the flow of the game. Um, he's also got Jadeja and Siraj that are wicket-taking options and economical as well. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that makes his life a lot easier because just, I mean, just knowing that no matter what the situation is, you've sort of got at least two people that can sort of fill fill a role for you at, the, at any given time is very important. And then you look at the Indian batting lineup. I mean, Rohit Sharma himself has changed the way that he's playing um, and has just gone ultra aggressive, which for a guy with the numbers that he has and the stats that he has, I mean, this is the only person in Shiv Odia cricket to have multiple double centuries. I mean, he's got three double centuries. And this is someone that's now going ultra aggressive i mean to, to be able to make a double century in 50 over cricket you have to be yeah, yeah. um so i mean it's just his his vision for the game understanding okay you know i can continue to play like this or we as a team can continue to play like this and you know have relative amounts of success whether that be personally him just continuing to accumulate stacks or the team continuing to get deep into tournaments and you know Threaten, or we can as a collective and putting himself on the line with this performances go a bit more aggressive to try and win another World Cup for for their nation, um, which is what he has done. And I mean, it's it's worked beautifully so far for them. Uh, so I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. Like in terms of um, captaincy, in terms of having the right tools and then leading from the front. Yeah. Um, someone like Rohit Sharma has sort of um, highlighted, I guess, your your point. No, definitely. I, I, I totally agree with everything you're saying there. And I know we, we sort of touched on that as well. I think it's 
we touched on it last week about obviously charm and stuff. But I just wanted to fo- focus a little bit more from that leadership perspective. We've covered that with the you know the importance of that. How would you, as a captain yourself, in you know over the years, how would you sort of uh, describe your sort of um, the way that you captain the game? Uh, I think it's changed over time. Initially, um, I think I sort of um, tried to do everything on my own, you know, not really get the rest of the team involved. But I think as I've grown and I think marriage has helped a lot. I've, I've said this to Emma as well, because like, obviously, like, to me, marriage is the biggest um, teacher I've had in life. Like, you have to learn your partner on a daily basis. And then I, I sort of applied that same principle um, to, to cricket where... I sort of learned my teammates, each person individually, you know, what they like on the field, what they like off the field, um, understanding what someone may, may be going through in their personal lives, whether it is in their relationship at home, um, whatever the case is, so that you can know, okay, this is that this is the person that I'm going to need during this situation. I'm going to need that person in another situation and just understanding how best to utilize and communicate with each member of of the team so I, I think i've become more of an inclusive type leader um, sort of a relaxed environment where everyone has the freedom to sort of express themselves and be comfortable be free without any judgment or prejudice um and just sort of enjoy themselves because i mean the last thing you want to do cricket is a fun sport when played recreationally but um ultimately this is our jobs um and so there's enough pressure applied in having to know that you're you're always fighting for your next um contract or salary whatever the case is um and so it's important to sort of take away any other stresses that that people um whether it is players or coaches may have because coaches can themselves employ um pressure on teams when you know a coach wants the team to perform so that he can or uh, they can look good as a coaching unit or that they can get another contract or whatever the case is yes it's really a really good point that you make in terms of how your captaincy style sort of change um and things and i, I can i can sort of relate to that a lot because i remember when i when i was given the role as captain obviously in, in the amateur standard that I played at I think at first in my head I was like I'm going to do this I'm going to do that and I remember reading books about leadership and I, I probably took it a little bit too serious I'll be totally honest with you um, but and then when you get in when you actually get into the role on a daily basis or on a week, weekend basis as I were doing you, you realise that it just about I just became a lot better at listening to people and actually sort of listening to what they were going to you know and in terms of a game situation. And I think I learned a lot from sort of a, a mate of mine who, who played a lot of cricket and he, he was, you know, he'd, he'd never really been a captain as such, but he just led by actions more so from a professionalism perspective and the way he went and, and did things. He didn't really have any of, you know, he wasn't very particularly outspoken, but the way he, he, he carried himself as a professional in an amateur sport as such that I played and it, it sort of spoke volumes really to me that he didn't have to be about like the whole um, big sort of leader. It was more a case of like do his, you know, actions really. It was quite, I think it was quite important for me to learn that as well. But 
you know, as you went through your career, who were, who were the captains that sort of stood out for you and what sort of bits did you pick out from them that sort of stuck with you now that you still maybe utilise, you know, as you, with your career still now? I think um, the two, I've said, better captains I've had, um, definitely on an international level anyway, would be uh, Sammy and Dwayne Bravo. I think um, different personalities, um, I think Darren Sami is is someone that sorts of, you know, tries to motivate um, players, you know, sort of bring that element of it. We're doing Bravo sorts of gives you the ultimate freedom and, and backing to, to be yourself and express yourself um, without fear of being um, dropped or anything like that, you know. So um, you sort of take away those two things and you combine them and you have sort of a, a good basis or a good core to, to start from and then you can add your own little bits and pieces to the pie from there. Yeah. And you mentioned it before about coaches. Do you think that the impact of leadership um, of a coach plays a big part as well in terms of how they sort of um, manage you to get the most out of you from maybe um, you understanding certain bits around your technique or... Uh, you know the way they deliver certain bits. How important has that been to, with you know for you in particular at times? Well, I think I think a coach is a very interesting thing. Um, I don't think that professional players or international players are going to necessarily be coached um, too much on the international scene, if that makes sense. Like you, you've heard kind of, like you, you'd mostly be coached by people in the lead up to that. I think in the professional game, coaches are also just to identify little things or, you know, just try and pump, pump some ear into the tires and, and just sort of make a player feel good. Right. Uh, but players generally have someone that they've, they've worked with in the build up to becoming who, who they are that they trust um, more so than anything. And that person can take a look at them for five minutes, having not seen them for a month or two years and know exactly what the issue is and how to rectify whatever issue that player is having. Um, so it, it depends on what level you're at and understanding what to expect from different coaches. Um, but I don't think that in the professional game, and and especially the way that the professional game is set up now, because you can't be a professional cricketer and not be an international cricketer with all these T20 leagues and other stuff going around. And so it's going to be very difficult for someone you, you're working with, like you're playing for a team for three to five weeks. What what significant, if any, impact can someone really have on you then when you have a week pre-tournament and then you're into tournament and you're, you're playing matches heavily and hardly practicing or just doing very light um, sessions, you know? So um, it's it's more so the people that have, have come up with you. So in ter- in ter- you, yeah, this is an interesting point I want to sort of get your opinion on here. So how, how hard or how does a coach go about working with a group of players for, say, that's that 10 week period from a franchise perspective, how, do, what, how does their role sort of look from, you know, from the outside really? That's, that's basically more man management than anything. Obviously right. just 
sure that everyone gets sort of what they need in that period of time to ensure that they feel um, fully equipped and ready to go and perform during that time period. So it's it's not anything like, oh, I think you need to change your grip and, you know, your stance and all of that sort of stuff. It's more so, um, have you hit enough balls? Is there anything else I can do to accommodate, like, um, whatever specific drills that you need to do or whatever the case is? But it's it's not really ever really going to be something hugely technical or OTT that, you know, that they've spotted and they've, they've made this life-changing discovery and then you went on to break yeah. Brian R's record or something. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's interesting, really, to, to, to see how it works. And like I said, you mentioned there about man management. I totally understand where you're coming from, from, from that short sort of time frame there. Um, from a captaincy perspective, who, who do you believe as, uh, you know, in terms of like, who do you see as being like a real standout captain over the last, from a one-day international perspective, so that's to say? Um, who's sort of been the standout captain from the last 20 years that sort of stuck in your mind and thought, you know what, the way they go about what they do and everything like that is something that's caught your eye? Ooh, the last 20 years. Um, you're going to have MS Dorney. Yeah. He's probably going to be top of the tree. Um Owen Morgan's going to fit into that somewhere. Darren Sammy's going to fit into that somewhere as well. You know, these are guys that have won major um, championships on a, on a global stage. Um, Emma Stoney pretty much has won everything that there is to win, whether it's the Test Championship or ODI T20, all these various things. I think he's sort of the, the blueprint for um, captaincy, obviously, you can't tell if he's happy or if he's sad. He just keeps a straight face. And I think that's that's been a good thing for the team because, you know, sometimes you're playing with some captains that are very emotional wearing their, their hat on their sleeve. And, you know, like if something's going wrong, then it's really going wrong because then yeah. that person gets emotional, starts screaming or shouting, and then other players starts getting frustrated with the captain because, like, why are you shouting? Or, you know, let's just yeah, yeah. be calm. As, whereas MS Dhoni... Even with the bat, takes it deep, um, doesn't ever look flustered, always backs himself to get a big over somewhere along the line in the field, always backs his bowler to sort of, sort of pull off a win somewhere along the line, you know. Um, and we've seen that, I mean, the various styles of leadership, there's no there's no one size fits all, there's no right and wrong. It's more so what's right for a particular group or a particular team at that particular time. Um, yeah. And that's where you sort of have like um, captaincy changes or coaching changes, regime changes after a certain period of time. Because like as players evolve um, through the different stages of their their careers, they need different things. Um, and while you may have a captain that did a great job in getting a team up to a level, there may be someone else in that team that has been identified to take them to the next step and. You know, it's it's just understanding when is the right time to sort of move things along. Yeah, I think the one the one key thing I picked up from from, from listening to you for the past you know half hour or so is from a captaincy perspective is the the successful captains have always trusted the group of players, whether that be from a way that they support them and back them in terms of the way they go out and play, the way they go and open the batting, if that's what you're doing as a role, to break that partnership, to to do whatever you, the role, it's the trust aspect they've been given that I know, I believe you can go and do X, I believe you can go and do Y. And I think that that 
having that captain who believes in you to go and do that is so important. It makes you feel, you know, 10 feet tall at times to go and achieve what he set you to go and do. And I think it's a big thing, trust, as a cap, as a, to be able to go and trust your players. I think that's a big thing I picked up on there. In different ways, you talked about it in, in sort of, in different aspects, you know, the cool, calm and collective approach, the, the you know, I, I think ultimately the key word to pick up from that is trust. And I think that, um, yeah, I think it's, a really, it's been really good to speak to you about captaincy and leadership and how you went about it as a captain yourself and certain traits that specific people had. I think it's been, you know, really, really nice to speak to you about that, really. I mean, think think of life on a whole. Um, when, we're, when we're kids, we sort of get that, that belief from our parents and that's what propels us. Um, if if you're a religious person, you sort of have that belief from your faith that, you know, whoever you pray to will take you through. Um, you're, you're in a relationship, whether you're married or not, your, your partner sort of gives you that confidence to take you through whatever situation. You know, um, the strongest man always has an even stronger woman or partner behind behind him. Um, I can say that right now, Emma's <laughs> anyway, um, flexing her muscles and uh, I don't mean it literally, but um, <laughs> um, but no, it's 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 that's that's just the basis of life. Um, anything that any any way that there's success, um, it's it's because someone has instilled that belief in you that you can go out and, you know, sort of have that fear of failure taken away from me because even if you fail you have another opportunity to go and do it again and that person will be backing you and supporting you and as a team once 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 you get that from from your leader from your organization then collectively you have everyone playing freely towards one cause they're going to fight like hell for that captain because that captain has given them the ultimate freedom and so they're going to run through walls for him. They, if yeah. if he says that we can do it, let's go and do it. Yeah. No, I I think it's been real. I've really, you know, really enjoyed listening to you tonight. I really have. It's been so insightful from my perspective as somebody who, you know, has a short stint as, as playing amateur cricket as captain to then obviously the highest man of yourself. I think that there's, very, there's some similarities, but there's also the element of um, the more important role that you played is you know from a professionalism aspect so really 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 good to listen to you tonight i just wanted to finish a little bit a little about the world cup so we've spoken a lot about india i think that you know we're, we're in a situation at the minute where they are ultimately going to take some beating and uh, can you see anyone who's going to sort of maybe pip them to it at the moment the looking good um it's going to be interesting i want to see an india south africa match at the moment because south yeah. africa are flying pretty high at the moment um i think yeah. that whilst india are playing really good cricket south africa are playing extremely fearless cricket and putting up mammoth scores and i mean we know what scoreboard pressure does to the best of us um and south africa are capable of getting into 400 yeah it seems at will at the moment. Um, their entire batting lineup, which which is pretty crazy to say, but it's their entire batting lineup that's clicking at the moment. It's not just yeah. one or two people doing it, which makes it an even scarier task. Um, and this is even without their actual 
um, designated captain playing who averages over 50 in one international cricket as well. Yeah. Um, and then you've got bowling attack led by Kagisa Rabada, who for me is probably the second best seam bowler in the world. Um, you're going to be a, a pretty tough, pretty tough day against them. So that that's the match that I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, out of curiosity, who do you have as the number one bowler? Then, if you, you said Rabada's two, um, I think Pat Cummins is the best quick yeah. in the world. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. No, I think they are. Gonna, I think they're going to take some beats. I think that went. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that game. Um, it went India play South Africa. I'm also intrigued to see India. Meets. I do think India will meet New Zealand again in one of the knockout stages. I think that I'm I'm interested to see how that goes to see whether that how New Zealand will adapt tactically against them having played them and obviously been be, you know being beat by them. Uh, I still think they've got something to give. I think they've got some nice balance in that side. Um, so I'm, I'm intrigued to see how it goes. I just it's just disappointing from my side to see obviously England, you know, whimper out. Um, you know, really, it's a bit disappointing. But, you know, there's been some fantastic performance in the World Cup. It's been fantastic to see, you know, uh, like you mentioned earlier about Afghanistan winning, um, you know, beating Pakistan was, you know, brilliant. It, it just goes to show that these, uh, and I don't want to say lesser nations because it sounds, it's not very really fair to say that, but, you know, these, these are, you know, the challenging now and it's, it's going to become a, you know, the, the, the 10 is going to be some, you know, people are going to be beating each other now and that's what we want to see in these, win these World Cups and things so it's good yep very good I think um, the likes of Netherlands for example beating South Africa has yeah. like opened the eyes of a lot of people um, the likes of obviously today oh, that was yesterday I think Afghanistan beating Pakistan um, Afghanistan having won a few games you know like cricket cricket is in a really good space at the moment and this is you know we know Obviously, West Indies, Ireland, Zimbabwe, all yeah. these other teams taking part in this World Cup as well. So I think that cricket on a whole is in a really good space at the moment. And, you know, we're, we're going to have lots of exciting because they're, they're world events, I think, every year for the next few years. So we're going to have a lot of interesting um, talking points um, over the next few years. No, definitely. Definitely. So, yeah. So thank you very much for tonight. As always, so insightful. And I thank you so much for your time. And I hope you all, uh, your listeners and people watching on YouTube have all enjoyed it. And we'll speak to you all soon. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Power Play podcast, hosted by Kyron Powell and Jordan Shannon. We hope you enjoyed this immersive dive into the world of cricket and business, exploring the unique experiences and perspectives of players past and present alongside those invaluable insights into intriguing business themes that transcend beyond the boundaries of sporting heroics. Be sure to set your reminders on your Alexa or Google Home device. Or we won't tell anyone if you still use those paper calendar things from a bygone era. Join us next time for more inspiring dialogue with scintillating minds on the Power Play podcast.